Hey guys, we are continuing this morning in the book of James. Um, last week, we had guest speaker Joey Dotson with us, and he was speaking on James chapter 2, like the first 13 verses, talking about favoritism and discrimination. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that message, highly recommend that you go do that, maybe later this afternoon with your family. But this morning, we're going to jump right in, and we're going to pick up where Joey left off, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 14 of James chapter 2. And I'm going to read all the way to the end of verse 26. And so just read along with me. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without food, um, without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm, well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, So faith without deeds is dead. Before we get too far into a full understanding of what James is saying, let me answer a question that you might find yourself asking, maybe now, maybe later on. No, there is not a contradiction in the writings of Paul and then this teaching right here from James. And no, James is not trying to refute the doctrine of Paul. You see, in multiple places in the New Testament, we read Paul's writing that justification is by faith alone. But then here in James, we're reading that faith without works, it's dead. So which is it? Who's right? The answer is this. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Romans 3 verse 28, Paul writes, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Then in Ephesians 2 8, he says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. In Romans 5, Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace. But then now, in James, in chapter 2, verse 24, we find him saying, You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Some people think that the Bible just gets super messy when you compare these two different writings and There's even some religions that hang their hats for salvation completely on one or the other. But today, let's consider how these might actually be compatible with each other. And we're going to look at some scripture as well as context to fully understand what God might be trying to teach us. Included in our investigation, if you will, of scripture today. Can we just acknowledge that one word can have more than one meaning? My oldest sons, Caden and Tate, they do a great job of calling me out on this, basically making fun of me constantly. If you think about the word sick, some of you know where I'm going with this. I'm feeling sick. My wife is sick. Man, my kids are sick today. 
yeah, I don't think they're going to make it in. I think they're feeling kind of sick. That's one way to look at it. But now we know the color of that sports car is sick or that shirt that your son or daughter purchased. Well, that's sick too. Or that YouTube video, dude, you got to check it out. It's sick. But then there's like another Southern example for you. If you think about how we use the word sugar, do we simply use that word to represent the sweetness that we want added to our coffee or for cooking recipes? Or do we also use that word in reference to affection with our little son or daughter or grandchildren? Give me a kiss on the cheek. Give me some sugar. The word justify is no different. It has two meanings, not just one. In addition to absolve or declare free of blame, it can also mean to demonstrate or prove to be just, right, or valid, to show to be well-founded. In the case of salvation, the first is the cause, the second is the effect. The second definition is what's usually in view when we use the word justify in English. Justify your position, we say, and we're asking for evidence. You know, we want proof. But the Bible frequently uses this sense of the word too. Jesus taught that a person's true nature will be evident in his conduct. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said this. He said, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Jesus teaches here that the man with good treasure brings forth good fruit, which justifies him. This external display demonstrates the quality of the man within. This is not justification in the sense of salvation. A person's words don't absolve him, that first definition. Rather, they bear testimony of the inner man, that second definition. It's proof. It's evidence. When Paul teaches in Romans chapter 4 that we are justified by faith alone, he means that the only thing that unites us to Christ for righteousness is dependence on Christ. When James says in chapter 2 verse 24 that we are not justified by faith alone, he means that the faith which justifies doesn't remain alone. So these two positions, they're not contradictory. Faith alone unites us to Christ for righteousness, and the faith that unites us to Christ for righteousness doesn't remain alone. It bears the fruit of love. If I might point to the famous Martin Luther to sum up what I believe James is trying to convey in this passage, people are justified, meaning declared righteous, by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. People are justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. Let's jump back to the very beginning of our passage. In the very beginning, James chapter 2, verse 14, now that we've kind of waded through some differences between Paul and James, I know they're writing differently about this matter. But James 2, 14, reading from the NIV, it says this, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? The message version, it kind of begins like this in James 2, verse 14. Dear friends, do you think that you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words, but you never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? Okay, before we go any further, what's the problem that we're trying to solve here? Have you ever paused and asked yourself that, like as a parent trying to raise your child, or maybe you're an employer, you're a boss who's working through some strategy or redesigning within your role? Sometimes you just kind of got to step back and you got to go, what's the problem that we're even trying to solve here? I think that James' main concern here in this text is with the kind of counterfeit faith. 
we have to do a deep dive of self-examination, and we have to be sure that our faith is genuine. It's a real faith, a real saving faith that produces loving behavior. So check this out about works or deeds, whichever your Bible translation uses throughout this passage. Sometimes I say works, sometimes I say deeds. Works are not an addition to faith, rather an expression of faith. As a church at Grace Point, we can love and care for foster families. We can package up all the snack packs that we want for under-resourced families or for truckers that are spending countless hours on the road or medical workers who are going to work every day to care for the people that are being affected by this virus. But this isn't an add-on to faith. Real faith in a person doesn't result in good deeds from a mindset that just checks a box on doing a good deed for the month. Real, genuine faith in Christ leads to action, to serving, to expressing itself. Faith expressing itself through acts of love. A loveless faith is a useless faith. John Piper notes three ways to describe this kind of counterfeit faith that we're looking at right here in James chapter 2. He said, number one, it's a dead faith. It's what we see right here in verse 17 when James says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it's dead. And then he says, number two, it's a devil faith. In verse 19, there's a faith that even devils or demons have, believing in the right doctrine. You see, belief in the right doctrine, declaring that God is one. Piper said that even devils can be orthodox at the intellectual level, meaning they believe, but it doesn't save them. And then the third thing that he notes is he said it's an empty faith. Verse 20 in James says that this counterfeit faith that we're speaking of, it's, it's useless, it's ineffective, it's empty, it's idle, it's vain. None of these faiths can ultimately justify. And so jumping back again to the writings of Paul, look with me at Galatians 5, verse 6. This is what Paul writes. He says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith is a living trust in God's grace that expresses itself in acts of love. We find this throughout the New Testament, even in the very beginning of 1 Thessalonians where Paul is writing to the church there. He says in verse 3, we continually remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So the question is, what type of faith do you have? Is your faith dead because it's not accompanied by any action? Are you comparable to to a demon or a devil? Because you can proudly and simply state, well, I believe that there's only one God. Is your faith empty? Is it useless? Is it ineffective? Is it just idle? Those are tough questions as we self-reflect and we examine our own faith. Everything that I've said up until now, let's just kind of call it part one of the message today. Part one was straight from James, and we compared this caution of a counterfeit faith, a faith without works, to Paul's writings about faith and faith alone being what justifies. Ultimately, I hope that you can grasp that faith alone is what saves, but it's not a faith that remains alone. It's a faith evidenced through the way that it expresses itself in love, in action, and behavior. But let me share what I'm just kind of calling part two of this message. 
And this is simply my caution to anyone that's listening and maybe finds themselves wrestling with this temptation from time to time. Don't tip too far into works and deeds and serving and action that you confuse it with a genuine faith-loving relationship with Jesus. You see, there are entire religions built on works to the point they nearly replace a faith and trust in Christ alone, and they definitely replace a personal relationship where one lives life with Jesus. If we aren't careful, man, we can go, 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 and we can serve, 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 and we can wear our kindness on our sleeve, and we can act the part, and we can flip the switch on and off when needed, but you will absolutely find yourself in a place of burnout and questioning what in the world you're even doing and what in the world you even believe. I love my job. Absolutely love my job. I'm an associate pastor at Grace Point Church. Before I was an associate pastor, I was a member here at Grace Point. And I loved serving in the church. I loved serving outside of the church. I remember when my wife, Amanda, and I, we first joined a small group with Jared and Jill Marley. And we found our group um, helping someone roof their home. And then that led us to roofing another home. And then uh, we ended up roofing a third home. And no, we didn't start a roofing company, but we did find incredible community through sweating together and bleeding together and giving of ourselves and loving others through our actions because we're so in love with the God who would send his son to come and die on behalf of us. Long story short, God opened door after door and he empowered me to serve on Grace Point staff in a number of positions, ultimately to where I am now just helping navigate this church and spearheading our local and global efforts. But through a lifetime of loving the act of serving and being raised by parents who would do absolutely anything for anyone and who did so much for so many people, the enemy was able just little by little to creep in, confuse my identity and cause me to replace living a life with Jesus to living a life for Jesus. That's almost like I was doing it out of obligation. I don't even know how I got there. Well, I, I, I do now, but I'm just saying it happens over time. But suddenly, I wasn't even serving from a faith that was head over heels in love with Jesus because of my need for Jesus. Instead, I was serving and I was complaining and I was becoming bitter. And I just, I carried this attitude of obligation because this is what we do. You know, I mean, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to do this and I'm going to give and I'm going to tithe and I'm going to serve. I was blessed to be granted a couple of months of sabbatical back in January and February and During that time, God reminded me of right priority and of my first love and the ways that he's gifted me to serve and to love my family and to love others and to serve in his church because I've been justified by him. I've been made righteous by him. You see, it's our new identity that produces new activity. It's our identity in him that leads us to providing for someone else. Somewhere along the way, man, I got things all out of whack. And so my caution to every single one of you is this. Examine your faith. Ask yourself, man, am I living a life with Jesus or am I living a life for him? There's an author that wrote a book that I read during my sabbatical. Uh, Text me and I'll send you his name. But he said, remember God's original intent for us was a mission. He called humanity to rule over the earth, to fill and subdue it, to extend his creative order and beauty far beyond the confines of the Garden of Eden. He said this work was to be accomplished in perpetual communion with God. And it was to be motivated not by a fear of insignificance, 
but by the assurance of God's love for us. After the rebellion and the breaking of our union with God, humanity retained a sense of mission, a desire to achieve and subdue the earth. But when this work is pursued without God and not empowered by his presence and love, what was intended to be good and life-giving, it becomes twisted and destructive. And rather than finding our value in God as his beloved children, instead we try to find our value in the mission that we are chasing. He goes on and he says, sometimes the people who fear insignificance the most are driven to accomplish the greatest things. As a result, they are highly praised for their good works, which temporarily soothes their fear until the next goal can be achieved. But there is a dark side to this drivenness. If you've ever read anything by Gordon MacDonald, he kind of referred to this as missionalism. He said it's the belief that the worth of one's life is determined by the achievement of grand objective. And so Gordon MacDonald, he said, missionalism, it starts slowly. It gains a foothold in a leader's attitude. Before long, the mission controls almost everything. Time, relationships, health, spiritual depth, ethics, convictions. In advanced stages, missionalism means doing whatever it takes to solve the problems. In its worst iteration, the end always justifies the means. The family goes, health is sacrificed, integrity is jeopardized, God connection is limited. I think that was me. Somewhere along the way in a life with Jesus, the stinking enemy confused me little by little. Let the mission control everything. I found myself being terrible to my own family. My God connection became extremely limited. I don't even know how this happens. Good works flow from real and genuine faith, but how in the world did my focus tip way over here to works being more important than my faith, which produced the good works to begin with? Honestly, I think it's when we forget to remind ourselves of who God is. I think it's when we forget in our prayers to begin with acknowledgement of who God is before we ever ask for blessings or healings or answers or directions. First, let's remember that he is God. He is savior. He's creator. He's beginning and end. He's our hope. He's our shelter. He's our friend. He is with us. He longs to remain with us daily. I think it's also when we forget the why. Why do I long to be engaged in the church? Why do I want to engage in a small group? Why do I long for community? Why do I want to go on a global adventure? Why do I want to serve in children's ministry or student ministry or help people find a seat on Sunday mornings or with the audio video team? Why do I long for Grace Point to reopen the physical doors so that I can get up and drive to the church facilities where I can sing and hear God's word preached? Why? Have I forgotten the why? Sometimes we get so busy with our patterns of behavior that we lose sight of the why. Why are we even behaving that way? We have a lot of Christianity in our life, but no Christ. While Paul was in prison, he wrote to the church in Philippi. And he began saying, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. His language here is telling When he wrote of knowing Christ, the word didn't mean an intellectual knowledge about someone. Rather, it was an intimate and experiential knowledge. 
This personal connection with Christ is what Paul valued above everything else. Why he could even find joy while he was in chains. Faith alone is what saves us, but not a faith that is alone. And so be careful not to just replace one for the other. As we get closer and closer to reopening our physical doors at Grace Point, there are so many ways to express your faith through serving opportunities, especially with the unknown of just how many people are going to return to an in-person worship gathering. And at Grace Point, we want to ensure that we have areas of ministry that are just completely staffed with volunteers, people that, that want to be there and serve and welcome individuals and be a hospitable church, but not at the expense of a single individual serving out of obligation or unhealthy perspective of responsibility. We want to ensure that every single member serving in an area of children's ministry or student ministry or first impressions ministry is there because they understand their need for Jesus's perfect life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And then the overflow of their heart is to serve someone else. You see, it's a complete grasp of the gospel. We want to ensure that people are passionate to live as people who are sent, not because that's what you do when you're a member of Grace Point, but because that's what you long to do when you fully grasp the good news that God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. And his gift of salvation is for anyone. It's for everyone, regardless of how messed up you used to be and how terrible of a person that you might still think that you are. God loves you. He longs to replace your old heart with a new heart of love. And it's from that faith. It's through that faith. It's because of faith that we act. Please consider the ways, be praying about all the ways that God is leading you to serve next as we reopen. There are exciting opportunities. There are tons of opportunities. In fact, there's a link that you can click that'll take you to a list of everything that we would just ask you to pray and consider with your family and your children and your spouses. But first, just know that we need justification, that first definition to absolve or declare free. Plus we need justification, that second definition, proof and evidence. Faith alone saves, but not a faith that is alone. If you haven't placed your faith in Christ for salvation, for complete forgiveness of sins, and you're ready to do that, maybe you don't know how, or you just want to process it through with someone, then let's talk. You can contact me. You can contact any of our pastors. There's a number of members in our church who would gladly make themselves available to you. If you want, you can just throw something in the comments. But click the link provided if you want something that's just a little bit more private and confidential. Totally understand. But I am pleading with every one of you listening to consider the depth of God's love, what a relationship with Jesus looks like. It's a life-saving, a life-giving, fulfilling relationship. Pray with me. Father, thank you for, for giving us faith. Thank you for staying with us as we grow in our faith. Thank you for being with us as we wrestle with, is my faith genuine? Is it real? Father, I pray that as we read a, a challenging text like this from James, that we would just look back and we would examine the works that we do, the good deeds that we do, and we would be sure that they're not dead, that they're not comparable to a demon or a devil, and that they're sure not empty. Father, I pray that the works that we do flow from a heart of faith that has been justified. God, knowing that, that our righteousness, our perfection is from you first and foremost. And then as an overflow, the way that we prove it and it's evidence to the world around us is through the things that we do. Father, would you please help us 
self-examine, self-reflect. And then God, would you lead us to serve and to act as a church to our community, as, as members within our church? God, help us to pray and consider the children that we could pour into, the students. God, just the, the welcoming face and greeting that we could give on a Sunday morning. God, groups of people that we could lead and disciple through life. Grace Point has so many opportunities, God, as you continue to shape our church family. Father, would you help us just to consider where you're leading us and then help us to act from genuine faith. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.